Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. And I'm joined by Johnny Sisson in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Johnny. Good, good morning, Simon. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It was, you know, I was going to do the weather report and I was really excited because it was sunny for a minute there and, and now it's just cloudy again. So, <laughs> so in the course of, you know... The 18 minutes since we got on the podcast and the pre-podcast chat, it's now turned all gray. So, oh well. <laughs> you've, you've, you've let me down now. I've, we, <laughs> I was going to say, this is a, like UK weather or something, isn't it? Yeah. You know what, you know what happens is that the sun rises in the east. Well, thanks, Johnny, for that bit of wisdom there. Um, the sun rises in the east, even in Chicago, over the lake. Um, and so it, 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 it's like bright and then, and then the, the sun gets high enough to hit the cloud cover and then it, it gets gray. So, so there was this beautiful sunlight coming through my window here as I was firing up on the podcast with, with Simon. And now it's just, the sun is up in the clouds. So there's that. And you, you've kept me waiting for 18 minutes to tell me that because you wouldn't tell yeah. me earlier <laughs> yeah exactly right. well there you go um so thanks thanks for that uh, gem of a um, weather update there johnny you're welcome uh, yeah um okay well on to on to this week's uh podcast which is going to be pretty much of a catch-up on some of the things that we've we've been up to because we we've not spoke about that for quite some time and yeah. uh, not that i've actually been up to that much but there you go um but <laughs> oh you have to you have yeah. to well maybe yesterday anyway <laughs> yeah um, yesterday yeah so uh um but first thing uh, i just want to thank uh all of those people that have um, sent us messages of um, support if you like um as well as um some uh very good feedback uh, from the the podcast which, which we did last week uh, so um thank you for that and i'm we, we're not going to read out all of those uh, messages because i think uh, i think those people that managed to listen to last week's show um and i know there are quite a few people that chose not to and uh, probably you know for quite good reason and un un understandably um we don't we don't want to make um this week's show as uh, tough to listen to as uh, last week's show not that it was all bad last week there was uh, no, lots right. of you know positive and actually outright funny things that actually happened on that show so uh yeah. and i think the you know how um let's say how well that show went um was largely down to anil um because anil pretty much held everything together for us so uh yeah. i just want to say on well on man and johnny's behalf really uh, thank you anil for uh really helped us out last week you did a great job so thanks again yeah indeed um okay so one more uh thing on on uh that note um it's just to say that uh we've been taking uh donations uh to um for the down syndrome association of central florida through our coffee page that's ko-fi slash classic lenses um, and it's to say that any donations that are made to the show during May uh, are going to go straight over to the Down Syndrome Association of Central Florida. Um, and you can also download, uh, download, donate directly to them um, by doing 
going to dsacf.org um, and that will bring up their their page and i just want to say i'm delighted to say that we've actually received just over 170 pounds uh, in donations um, over the last uh, nearly three weeks so uh, thank you to all those people who donated but as i say um you can di uh, download download donate uh, directly <laughs> Uh, to the uh, Down Syndrome Association of Central Florida, and that's the charity that uh, supports um, Carl's family uh, and Andy, who has Down Syndrome. Um, so I just want to quickly, uh, just because I'm, I'm not going to read out the messages, and if you want to see what people have uh, uh, said, you can go to our coffee page and you can actually see the comments and uh, things that have been uh, left for for us there. Uh, but the people that have donated to us uh, during the month of May so far are Lawrence Dunn, Chris Holland, Neil Piper, Perry G, James Thorpe, Jared, Ch Jared Tremper, Bob Matter, uh, an anonymous donor, Brian Woolworth, Jeremy North, Ian Fleming, Mike Gutterman, Laurie Brooks, and Nigel Stanley. So uh, just want to say thank, thank you all. And uh, yeah, there's still time to get a few more donations in there before the end of May. So uh, I ho hopefully you can. But as I said before, um, great if you can just don donate directly as well. You're here. So Johnny. Um, so Simon. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to kick it right back to you because I want to hear about Photographica. Okay. Um, well, that was that was uh, largely the recap of my last three weeks is all about yesterday, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was uh, an event in London uh, called Photographica, um, and it's an annual uh, camera fair. I've, 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 I've actually spoken about this, uh, this event before because it's the third time I've been there. So I would have yeah. talked about it last year as well, uh, because it's held roughly around about the same time. Um, but it's, it's very similar, similar to the, uh, camera fair that I do. And there's a few camera fairs, but the, the largest regular ones in Wolverhampton, um, at the Wolverhampton, uh, race course. And that's, uh, I think last year was about did it five times. I think this year it's, it's happening four times this year. Mm. And I think there's another one at the end of June. I think, um, but that's it's 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 a, the same format. It's a relatively large room, or in the case of photographic, a, a very large room, yeah. um, with uh, with tables set up, and uh, you you rent tables and sell um, whatever cameras and lenses and photographic related kit. That you might have and uh i went down there with um andy cottrell who's um who posts on our facebook group um, occasionally but i've known andrew andy for quite some time because he's uh, um he used to have a a, uh, a camera shop in stafford in the uk and uh, he closed out a couple of years ago and just pretty much became a an ebay seller um so uh, but i stayed in touch with andrew and andy and uh, we went down there on sunday that which meant uh, oops Hey, he, here he's calling. Andy's calling right now. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, it's, it's actually a suspected spam caller, according to this. Oh, well, how about that? That's unexpected on your cell phone, really? That's that's right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I thought I'd actually switch the uh, the Strangler's uh, ringtone off there. So ap apologies <laughs> there. Um, so sorry about that. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, early start yesterday. Um, a long. Alarm was set for about uh, three thirty in the morning to try and get to London for um, some time uh, before eight o'clock, 
and uh, yeah. so I met I met uh, Andy on the way, and uh, we had some help as well because I got into a uh, bit of a Twitter uh, chat with a with a, with a few people. One of those people being uh, Neil Trulock, um, also known as uh, Funky UK, uh, Funky on, UK. <laughs> on, on, on on Twitter, um, and uh, yeah, he's a um, camera uh, enthusiast and um and he's been to a few of these shows before but uh, this time we're, we we let him work for us uh, <laughs> which is uh, a case of you know he he turned up and he uh, helped us unload and uh, man the store for a few hours and uh, that that got him into the uh, into the building nice and early and allowed him to um have a look around before the uh, the public came in so yeah, he, had a, wow. he had a good day um uh, thank you neil for for helping us and uh, yeah it was um it was it was busy right from the start it wow was really really That's really great. busy and wow one of the things that i noticed about it which i was particularly pleased about was the um the range of ages of people in there uh, mm. it was, it, at the wolverhampton camera fair it, it tends to be there's, there's a lot of gray hair there yeah, you're like fine. the young. The are you like the young want, dude there in the Wolverhampton usually as well? You want people to be, you know, taking that interest in film and old cameras and old lenses, and the, you know, you do get them at Wolverhampton, but it's, you know, they 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 stand out um, by being different. Whereas it's uh, photographic yesterday, there was a really good number of young people and students, and quite a few overseas students as well um, that were there. And and you could tell that these are, these are people that we they, they users. They're not uh, um, collectors as such. Not there's anything wrong with collecting, but it's just good to see that that it's ultimate. It's the users that keep um, yeah. photography and uh, using old lenses and old cameras alive. So uh, so that was uh, that was that was really good to see. Hey, that's that's really good to hear, Simon, because I've noticed that the last couple of camera fairs I've been to in Chicago, and I did miss the, the, the most recent one, but I'm like usually the youngest person there. So it's all these some bitches older than me there, you know? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you're, not do, you're not doing anything to uh, no, no I would, this, this opinion I, that you're ageist, are you, I would never, I would never do that. I would never do that. So, but, but I have noticed that it, it like noticeable shift towards, um, I would say people who are like, like 30-ish and under coming to the, the camera shows and just like really excited, you know? So that's, I think that's a great sign. Not that we don't love older people, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but younger people are uh people say the children are the future <laughs> right so yeah so so with that in mind i mean it's it's great because we we love this stuff and it's it's cool that obviously other people do and it's going to kind of continue going on um and i mean i see that every day at the shop it's it's the people who are really passionate about this stuff for the younger folks who are kind of just like Deep, getting deep into it you know so it, that's great i mean it, it it to me it says a lot about the future of just um our end of the little niche of the camera world which is people using you know older gear and older lenses um i i i think it's it, it's definitely speaking well to this going forward so yeah so i take it that you sold some stuff at the show and I take it that you probably bought some stuff at the show. Is that would that be a true statement? It would be. It, okay, it's it's a that is definitely a true fact. All right. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I took quite a bit of stuff with me. I only had one table and I filled uh, that table up. I, I took a range of uh, uh, FICAS uh, lens adapters. And they, they went, uh, they went quite well, as, as you would hope, really. Did they? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I was, I was, I was pleased with that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I sold um, my three. Was it three? Yeah, for my, my four. My four largest items or most significant items, I, I sold all four of them. Um, wow. First one being a Hasselblad uh, 500 CM uh, because I don't need two. Um, right. <laughs> as much as I want to, it's nice to have a spare Hasselblad, but no, no, I, I can't really have two Hasselblads. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, that was a particularly nice one because it had it came in the case, uh, which you can carry two. I'm just wondering now, why did I sell it with the case? I could have kept that. Oh, there we go. Oh, you don't want to keep yeah. the case. You'll end up with 500 cases. Yeah, actually, no, no, there is a good reason. There is a good yeah? reason. Apart okay. from cases not being cool. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the, because there's a, because I already got one and I always have, you know, so it would mean I'd have two 80 millimeter planars. Ah, there's a significant yeah. difference between the two planars that I have and yeah. the the one on the camera that I sold was one of the older ones which is I wouldn't call it chrome uh, because it's not you know it's not shiny uh, as such but it's a, it's a it's a bright metal finish yeah looks, I know the one you mean yeah, yeah. and it looks really pretty mm -hmm. um, I mean if you if you imagine uh, Hasselblad 500 cm uh, in your in your head. It has this lens on it because it, it it's it's petite. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a really small lens yeah. for for what it is. Um, whereas the the one that I have is I can't remember how old it is now, but it's it, it, it certainly doesn't belong or it, it wasn't bought at the same time as the uh, camera because it's it's probably from the my camera's from the 70s and this lens I think is from the 2000s. I think so it's it's a mm. much more modern lens you know and there's more plastic in it but it's you know it's still it's still well made but it's it's much larger uh, but it's also got the t-star coating on it and yeah. you just know that it's going to perform better so uh I, and i so i decided to go with the looks uh, sorry not went with performance rather than the looks um, right. but that lens in itself and this is the key thing about the case is uh, if i put that one on it just wouldn't fit in the case because it was all made to measure the uh the smaller, older metal lens. Ah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other, the other item. So that that one went, um, and uh, that actually went to a, a Chinese student actually that had that. Um, and I, I was, I was asking him, you know, if he'd experienced it before, and uh, yeah, he, he knew how to work a Hasselblad, which, which, which was good. Um, so that was that one, and then the other, the other two. Um, noticeable well there's three notable other items but i, I sold a, a wera kit or vera oh you did uh, sell it it did it went uh, i can tell i can hell in your voice simon you were you had <laughs> you had mixed feelings about that and you were maybe hoping it might stick around a little longer <laughs> yeah it was beautiful yeah those are pretty yeah and uh, i'm just i'm just trying to well, there was a, a, a bit of a backstory towards it. Apart from it being you know, virtually mint, um, I'd, I'd shared it in a few places, uh, Twitter and Instagram and, uh, and, and, and Facebook. And I'd yeah. been contacted uh, by, I'm just thinking, should I, should I say who contacted me or not? Um, yeah, I'm going to anyway. Well, Fra Fraser Yule uh, contacted me um, and uh, because he was, 
<laughs> it was funny. The, the the message you sent to me was, oh, that looks so nice. I don't really need it, but it looks so nice. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but I don't need it, really. <laughs> that right there yeah. is the whole reason to own it where, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he's had, he's had one, I think he's got one or he's had one, and it uh, had a, a dodgy shutter on it. Uh, one of the leaves yeah. had uh, stuck on it. Yeah, yeah. So he did. Actually, he does actually need a new wearer. Um, <laughs> right. but, um, but he also realizes actually he doesn't, doesn't actually need anywhere you know <laughs> at, at, at all but it looks so nice yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah 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 so he, he, he decided you know what if you can if you can sell it for you know for for 200 pounds which is what i put it up for which is strong money for it yeah um, then then fine and um but if i don't sell it then you know he'll probably have it for 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 a small discount and um and i'm not sure if he was happy or not but yeah it did go um actually he hasn't contacted me since i don't think so i don't know if he's uh, <laughs> yeah i think i think he might still be upset about it now and uh, yeah. re re regretting it maybe and um, he oh. may have contacted me i can't remember but uh but it did go to um I'm not sure if he's a listener of the podcast but he's certainly uh, a member of the uh, the gas factory um facebook group i think it's scott gillespie off the top of my head i was going to write this down before um but uh yeah so i'm going to call you scott if you if your name isn't scott but i think it was scott um and uh he he introduced himself and uh um, and we did a deal so um so he, yeah he, he, had, he, he had it and he's very pleased with it and uh and he, he wrote a message in the in, in the facebook group to say he got it home and he was still very happy and uh and he's going to share some photographs with it when he's when it's done so ah great yeah but i'm I'm, I'm missing it almost as much as fraser is i think right. so, yeah. <laughs> but i mean that you know that is in all fairness it's one of those cameras where you'll you're probably going to have another one turn up on you at some point not like that <laughs> no really you don't think so no it was beautiful <laughs> was it yeah, yeah. okay was, well the thing is it wasn't just the camera you know it got it's just the different vera models right and right the um there's some that have just got a fixed lens and there's some yeah. that are interchangeable lenses and right. this one was one of the interchangeable lenses it's okay. um so it had the uh 50 mil tessar uh on there uh, but it also had bubble cases for uh, yeah okay. with the 35 millimeter 2.8 flectagon and uh why'd you sell it jesus <laughs> and the 100 millimeter uh cardinal f f4 and, so, you, and you got the frame lines in the window and it's, yeah and the yeah the the rangefinder was pretty pretty damn good on it as well well wow. i'm thinking why why am i bothering with with trying to use this like a like a M, m2 when i could just use this and, uh, you know that's uh right yeah but no, it, I, I guess I'm. I must be assuming that they're more common because I never. You don't really see them over here much at all. But I was just assuming that they're all over the place over there. But maybe that's not true. <laughs> well, I, 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 at least not in that condition, right? I, it's not. I've got it now. It's not Scott Gillespie. It's Stephen Gillespie. Ah. So, uh, so yeah, I've just 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 gone into the uh, in, into the gas factory Facebook group. So, uh, but no, you yeah, you do you do come across them. I've um, I've I think I've actually might still actually have a flectagon for one of these knocking around somewhere. Um, I've never seen the Cardinal before the hundred millimeter, and and when you mount that Cardinal on it, it just looks even cooler. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So. Um, so yeah, so treat it well, Stephen, um, and share some share some photos. Definitely, yeah. So um, anyway, so 
yeah, that's enough, enough of the, the, the oh God, I don't know whether to say Wera or Vera. So because it's W-E-R-R-A. Uh, and uh, so that, that's that one. Um, but I also took and sold a, a Laudermat uh, system as well. Wow. So similar kind of thing in, in principle, except a, a lot more elaborate. Whereas the, the Vera cameras, you know, it's, it's, it's really slick. Uh, the design there's the hardly any adornments on it whatsoever so it's, it's really good industrial design mm -hmm. uh, whereas the the Verimat looks it looks complicated it looks imposing and it looks great as well and it's in its in its own way um although the the three lenses that come with that one uh, are probably less useful actually um certainly with the kit that i sold because you got the the 50 mil um, but it also had a 90 and a 135 um, huh. so yeah yeah, yeah. Right. i think i'd prefer to have the 35 and the uh yeah and yeah no doubt that 135 maybe right yeah that but makes it was sense. a lo lovely piece of kit and made in the same uh town as uh as the mate likers as well so uh that was that's that was an impressive looking camera too yeah yeah wow. but very um, good that's good that's great that you've you've moved some things that you've had for a while yeah and uh, you mentioned earlier, did I buy? And yes, I did. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was restrained. But at the end of the day, it was it was far more about selling uh, yesterday for me, at least anyway, than uh, than buying. Right. And uh, I only actually bought uh, from one uh, table, um, and that table being the table next to me with the guy that came <laughs> I drove down with, um, which was uh, from from Ant from Andy Andy Cottrell, um, uh -huh. and he had with him an absolute load of soviet cameras um just ton, tons of feds and zenits oh really uh, yeah yeah wow. and uh, zorkies yeah and it was it was selling for really good prices as well you know i was, was thinking yeah, let's just make as many of these things go and i i was i was just slightly in shock that there were still some of these cameras left yeah it was wow. he was yeah. not asking much for them at all um there was one there was a a say zorky it didn't actually say zorky on it um you know the the trained eye would see it as being a zorky four um but uh embossed and uh, etched into it were things um would suggest it was uh, from the luftwaffe there was a eagle and a swastika oh uh, boy um there was uh, on the on the front of the uh, the, the the lens uh, on it, it's it actually it was described as a Sumicron fifty millimeter f three point oh two point eight. Yeah, uh, I was thinking mm, that's an interesting Sumicron if ever I heard one. Um, and uh, they, but they made no effort to disguise the fact that it still had the nineteen seventy two uh, make <laughs> making date. Uh, on it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely the the worst. Um, <laughs> the worst camera I've ever seen. It was just, it was a, it was a joke fake. It really was. Nice. Yeah, Those are the best. It, and it didn't sell. I, I have no idea why. Really? It was, it, yeah. It was a, it, I mean, it had the Sumicron on it. It was a Leica, and it was only for sale for about twenty five pounds, and nobody bought it. So wow. You say? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and I didn't buy it anyway. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I did buy uh, a load of his lenses that he had in the corner. As soon as he put them out, and I thought, yeah, I love those. Um, so I've I've picked up um, two two Carl Haven special uh, Mir ones. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think I bought four uh, collapsible in dust and dust stars. The um, the fifty three point five because they look cute. Yeah. Um, and I think I bought a couple others, but the uh, the the one that uh, particularly caught my eye uh, was a 
it was actually on one of the cameras. I can't remember what the camera was. And uh, and actually, where the stall was, we were directly opposite uh, Cosmo Photo and Stephen Dowling. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Um, and that was where I met uh, Stephen last year. Um, and uh, so he, he was set up and he had this big, uh, cardboard cut out of a of a of a moonwalking spaceman uh, on the other oh, side. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I saw the picture of that on Instagram or something. That was yeah, great. I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, oh, so cool. it was there, and and I saw this 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 camera. Because I thought I'm gonna have a quick look through these just in case it's like you know a, a 44 M7 or some something like that on on one of them, on especially on the uh, the more plastic Zenits. And uh, and lo and behold, there was a Zenitar M. 50 millimeter f1.7 and, uh, and i thought wow. oh, that's the that's the soviet ultron wow. so uh <laughs> yeah yeah so uh um so i thought i picked i picked it up and i thought i'm gonna walk over to to uh to Stephen because i know he knows a little bit well i say a little bit i know he knows about uh soviet cameras because i remember that from a, an episode he was on the uh, sunday 16 podcast and yeah. I, I said, "Is this, this is a Soviet Soviet Ultron, isn't it?" And he, you know, he nodded his head sagely. But he was actually more interested in the camera that it was attached to. <laughs> so, uh, so I took so I took this this camera that uh, Andy was selling, took it over to him, and sold the camera to him. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, bought, and then I went back and bought the lens off Andy. So, um, <laughs> so we, we were both happy. But he, apparently, the camera was a really a really good Zenit. I didn't actually realise there was one, but apparently it was. Um, um, and I feel sorry now because I didn't actually feel bad i should say because i didn't actually make any note of what this good zenit was um so uh, well, there you go yeah, but wow. no i've got the, the soviet ultron is now in in well it's actually with my repair man because it's it's a, it's a bit stiff on the helicoid and, and which lens is it again it's the zenitar m 51.7 okay. ah okay all right and interestingly enough that's a lens that's a friend of the show um shia morrison yeah. is uh i think he's actually writing an article i'm not sure if he's actually writing on ultrons or that particular uh lens i don't i don't know so uh okay. so pretty pretty soon there's going to be a volume uh on yes. <laughs> on on that lens available for uh, everyone's reading pleasure so i look forward to to reading that especially now i've got one yeah excellent great that's a great new acquisition i'm looking forward to seeing more about that one yeah absolutely very nice Oh, and uh, one one more uh, thing. Uh, uh, Waze Rahimi uh, dropped dropped by. That's um, a uh, member of the Classic Lenses Group and listener to the podcast. Uh, and he dropped by a an eight element Super Takamar fifty uh, millimeter one point four. Cool. Um, it's had an interesting problem though. Um, in that he was, he brought it to me and saying like, you know, he 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 wasn't he wasn't sure if he had an an adapter problem uh, with mm -hmm. it uh, because he said, look, whenever I put it onto an adapter, it's it, it effectively stops down to one point eight or f two, whatever the next uh, click down is on yeah. that lens. And I thought, well, that sounds a bit odd. Um, so I had a look at it and uh, I clo closed it down, um, put it onto auto. So mm -hmm. that it remains open, and then press the pin at the back with it being the M42 lens, and uh, uh, actually no, that was it. I had it wide open at 1.4, mm -hmm. and then pressed uh, the pin at the back that uh, is used to close it down with the point of taking the shot on a automatic M42 camera, and indeed it, it closed it closed down a, a, a click, 
Hmm. Um, not on the not on the ring, but the actual aperture itself. It, it closed just by pressing it when it shouldn't do because it was wide wide open. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, I had a chat with them about it, and I could see that there's obviously something wrong with either the iris or the mechanism connected to uh, to the pin, um, and also yeah. it was closing when they actually got to f sixteen. It was also the the hole was tiny. Uh, it was okay. uh, so it's as if like it'd been put together one one click one click uh, off yeah yeah i mean that that might not be how how it actually works with the mechanism but i think for the for the sake of understanding what the problem is i think that's probably the best way to say it so yeah uh, um and uh i'll just give you a little update uh ways i've uh, dropped it into my uh repairman and he's going to take a look at it this week. And uh, he did note that uh, he said that the blades are looking rusty as well. So it uh, uh, need, needs a little bit more of a, a cleaning there. But I'm, I'm guessing somebody's taken it apart in the past. And uh, it probably took him way, way too long. And then they realized they messed up the, the iris. And thinking, well, I'm not going back in there again. <laughs> I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll just, just live with it. We don't. Who, who shoots at 1.4 anyway? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, so yeah. With a bit of luck, um, I'll I'll know a bit more about that uh, this week, ways, and uh, I'll 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 let you know more when I know some. Yeah, very good. So, any any more from me on? You want to know about Photographica? Uh, or are we done there? Should we talk about you? Let's talk about you, Johnny. What have you been up to? <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, a few things. Uh, I I do have a new acquisition. It was not a purchase. Um, it was a trade, which makes me feel good because I'm trying to be at this point where I'm not spending out too much money on things. Um, and, they, you know, I do have a lot of things that I don't use, and I, I, I would like to kind of slim that down to things that I do use. So... I'm, I'm trying to turn some equipment over. Um, and one of the things that I uh, wanted to let go to a new home was my Nikon S2 rangefinder, which I used and tried so hard to love, but it just never happened. Um, it's a fine camera, but for me, not a great system, um, mostly because it it's very difficult to use that camera as a kind of a zone focus camera uh, because the aperture numbers end up on the wrong side of the barrel because the whole barrel turns. And anyway, it, it, long story short, I, I never really connected with it. Nice, nice though it is. So, um, so I wanted to, to kind of move it on to a new home. It almost went to, sorry to pick the scab on this one, but it, it all, it all, it almost went to Hamish um, I was gonna, I was gonna forward it on to Hamish for some cash, but but um, it, what I finally ended up doing is I took it into the shop at Central Camera, and and we a while back we had gotten a in a big lot of stuff we had gotten a Bessa R, which is the first model of the Bessa that came out with a rangefinder. Um, and this particular Bessa R came from a collection of a large amount of stuff we got. And the unique thing about it is it is a, it is a blue finish camera. So it is a Bessa R that is painted blue. And um, they didn't make a lot of these. It was a, the, the blue finish, and they also made an olive finish version of the Bessa R that was a kind of a Japan-only special order that you could get back at the time, which was, I believe, if I have this right, about 
2000, year 2002, when they were bringing the Bessa R model to an end and bringing out the Bessa R2. So they probably had a bunch of leftover Bessa Rs and said, hey, let's make a special edition. Let's paint them colors. So, so anyway, it is a literally navy blue camera with kind of yellowish gold writing on it. Um, I think it's beautiful. Some other folks might not think it's quite so beautiful, but I, I, you know, I really liked it. It came in and I, I had thought about getting one of these way back in the day when I got my Canon P and I'm like, eh, what do I want to do? Do I want the more modern camera? Do I want the classic? And I got the P. So this thing came in. I had always had my eye on it. Um, and, uh, attached to it was that, that really nice, um, uh, Scopar, uh, 35 f 2.5 so i i basically traded my nikon s2 with the the nikkor 35.25 for the bessa r with the 35.25 just a, did a straight trade with my my boss at at central um and and i'm i've already put <laughs> more rolls through the 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 bessa r than I ever put through the Nikon just because it, it's such a much more enjoyable user camera. So, the, and the reason I sort of got this camera was a couple of reasons, but thinking ahead, you know, to lenses I was going to use on it. Um, and this brings up another story is, is I had also acquired um, a, a lens that, um, I haven't mentioned before on the podcast, but I have mentioned before on the podcast. And specifically what I'm referring to is when Perry G was on, if uh, I think many of you will remember that episode, we talked about a lens and I, I think I cut him short and said, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say what it is. I'm still looking for one. It's our secret. And he said, okay, okay. I won't, I won't mention it. Um, and then, uh, you know, then, me and me and Perry kind of talked about this one a little bit more. And then Hamish Gill was also talking about this lens. So Perry started a little side chat on Facebook regarding this lens. And it was just the three of us going on and on and on about trying to acquire it. And I, since it has now been revealed what this lens is, I will talk about it here on the podcast. The lens is the Top Core S uh, 5CM F2. So 50 millimeter F2 top core S lens. Um, and very few of these are kicking around. It's not a lens you see all the time. It's hard to come by. I finally came by one. I was the last of the, the three of us to get one. Uh, Perry, Perry actually has two. Hamish has one and now I have one. And the thing that's unique about this lens is, um, it is a biotar. So it's a biotar design, uh, 50 millimeter rangefinder lens, which there's just not a lot of those around um, in LTM mount. And true to form for a biotar, it renders like a biotar, which is to say it's it's really sharp, it's really high contrast, and it's got a bit of swirl uh, in the wide open to middle apertures. So I so I got the lens, I got the camera. Uh, threw the lens on the camera, started shooting with it. And, and lo and behold, I, I have not processed any images off it yet, but just looking at the film through my loop, I can see that that signature look for this lens is coming through loud and clear. So I've been shooting around with the, the Biotar or the, uh, you know, the Topcore Biotar on the Bessa R, and it's been a really great combo. Um, I don't shoot a lot of 50 millimeter on rangefinder. I mainly shoot 35 
Um, but it's been really nice change of pace to shoot the 50. And I've had actually in my bag, the best R with the 50 on it. And then, uh, my Canon P with the 35 and I, it makes a really great combo. I can reach in the bag. I've got both of those lenses already mounted on a camera, which has always kind of been my preferred way to, to shoot is that I've got, you know, two dedicated cameras with lenses and I can just pick whichever focal length I want to use in that moment. And I'm really enjoying that. It's, it's turned into a, a really great go-to kit for me. So that's my, my big exciting kind of pair of acquisitions is the Bessa R and the Topcore S. Um, and I, I haven't really even shot the, uh, the, uh, the 35 uh, uh, Voigtlander lens much, but I will be doing that. And it's the pancake version of the, uh, the color scope R. So you've, you've, you've been on record many times yeah many times yeah. <laughs> um, talking about the um helios 44 lenses and the biotar uh, yeah uh saying i i don't i i don't do swill um, and all all of that kind of stuff <laughs> and now you've 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 got one and it swills it swills and it does all that and it's lovely yeah well, so what, what gives what's happened it it does swirl, but that really isn't my main. It's not my main. No, no, obviously lens. not. No, no. It just it's, it's a pleasant side effect, Simon. <laughs> a pleasant side effect. Um, no, I mean, it, so I, so part of it, and this is probably where the collector part of me comes into play, is that I'm kind of to a point where I'm my go to everyday system that I use is is uh, like a thread mount LTM lenses. Um, on some sort of rangefinder camera, and I and I'm really pleased with that setup. It, but part of it too is that there were so many great lenses made in that era, from let's say the the early 1950s to early mid 1960s. Um, there's so many great lenses out there that were made during that time period. And, and part of it is honestly, I wanted the top core because it's a biotar and it does have a different look. And the other 50 that I have is a go-to that I really, really enjoy. Well, I mean, I've got a lineup of fifties, um, in LTM. I have the Canon 51.8, the Canon 51.4 and the Canon 51.2. And they're all very different. They all have a very different look. Um, but I really, to be honest, wanted to get the top core because it's, it's a biotar and it's going to have a different look by nature than the other lenses. And the, the, honestly, the look that I want out of it more than the swirl is that kind of, to quote, to quote Carl, will forever go down in the annals of classic lenses podcast, the 3d pop of the, of the top core. And it's there. I mean, you can, I can see it on the film, you know, looking on my loop at the images on the light box. I mean, it's, it's beautiful and it's there and there are very few lenses where it's that the look is that dramatic and the, this lens definitely has it. So I think what I really wanted this lens for was those times when, you know, I just want to shoot something that has that particular look to it. And to be, to be fair, I guess, to the Canon 51.8, um, it really does have quite a bit of pop also, but it just has a different type of pop. So, so ultimately, I, I, yeah, I wanted the lens because it's a biotar, and I want that look every once in a while. Not so much the swirl, but more the the kind of three D pop effect. Okay, I believe you. Okay, was that convincing enough? Yeah. I was really trying to be convincing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
okay, just uh, just going back to that better R. Yeah. Um, is is the better R just the same as a better L with a rangefinder on the top of it? Goddamn right it is. <laughs> uh, so that, that disappoints it's, me. It's it's the same. I mean, you could even say it's a Nikon FM10 with a rangefinder on it because it's it, it is that it is that standard chassis uh, that 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 uh, Cosina made under many 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 different guises. Um, the standard chassis of the Copal shutter with the top speed of one two thousand metal bladed shutter um, that has a particular sound. Uh, but in this case, it's it's on a rangefinder with a with a rangefinder focusing mechanism, and that was the thing that uh, really made this camera special when it came out. Is that it, it's basically a Bessa, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a Casina in in the standard guys, but as a rangefinder. And I I I will say without any hesitation that I love that 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 system in its various iterations, and and it's a. <laughs> It's a it's a rock solid camera. I mean, I I I know it's um, considered to be a, a lower end model in a lot of the, you know, if you look at it as a Nikon or as whatever else it came out as. But I gotta say, it, it's a really solid shutter, and it's a really solid camera. Now, it's does it have some plastic? Hell yeah, it's it's plastic all over. I'm fine with that. It's got a it's got a metal chassis, but the the outer coverings are plastic. But so are the outer coverings of a lot of cameras from that era, you know. So I don't really have a problem with that. Um, and the rangefinder on it is beautiful. It's bright. It's as bright as a Leica, like an M an M6 or an M3 or an M2. Uh, it's got great frame lines that are switchable right on the top of the camera. So it's got switchable frame lines for uh, 75, 35, and 90 together, and then 50. So I've got a dedicated 50 on one end, and then on the other end of the switch, I have a dedicated 75. Um, which brings me to the point that the next lens on my list that I'm going to get is going to be the 75 millimeter uh, Voigtlander uh, Cosina. Because I've got now that I have the dedicated the dedicated camera for it with dedicated frame lines, why not have the lens? Um, and it, and that lens is still in the reasonable range, brand new. So I'm gonna as soon as I get my tax return, if I ever get that, and they don't figure out that I cheated on my taxes and I don't get thrown in jail um, and get my tax return, I will. I'm gonna be buying that uh, Voigtlander 75 millimeter uh, 2.5 screw mount lens. Do do many people actually use lenses longer than 50 on large format? I mean, obviously, you can, you can buy them, but I, I rarely see anybody actually. Yeah, when those times when you see somebody with a Leica or a rangefinder, it's very yeah. rare you actually see anything with longer than the, longer than the 50. Well, and, you know, Eric Eric said this when Eric was on. Um, he talked about the challenges of, you know, in the real world, using a lens longer than a 50 on a rangefinder. You know, you're... <laughs> It's a challenge. I mean, you really have to, you really got to work to get the, the your focusing right. Um, so anything faster than the 2.5 of that, of that 75, I think, you know, a 90 F4, you could get that, that, um, that lens exists uh, in LTM. And some people really like it. That's the lens that I told Carl he was going to be bored with in five minutes. Um, but that's a nice lens. But I, to me, 90 is just, uh, 
it's just long on a rangefinder. I mean, you're talking about the 90 millimeter frame lines in the viewfinder window are just, it's this tiny little postage stamp floating, floating in a much, you know, larger viewfinder, which seems a little odd to me, but the 75 to me is like the perfect sweet spot for a lens that can be a portrait lens on a rangefinder, And you're still probably going to be able to get your focus, right? Um, and that's, that's what my attraction to it is, is I can throw that lens in my bag. And now I've got in my bag, I've got a 35, a 50 and a 75, which I could just about, you could just about do anything with that lens lineup. Um, so that, that's, that's my thinking on it is I'll, I'll have like a, basically a full kit that I can kind of do anything with in, uh, in the LTM mount. The other thing you mentioned there about um, selling your 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 Nikon uh, and going over to that. I mean, I hope Bob Grotelloni wasn't listening to all the things, all the bad things you said about that uh, that, that that Nikon. Um, because I'm sure he'd be saying you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, but yeah, this this is the thing. Not every camera is going to suit everybody. Yeah, um, yeah, right. And, and ultimately, if you're if you're happy with a uh, a painted blue plastic camera uh, <laughs> rather than a custom icon. made all metal <laughs> yeah yeah um if you're if you're the one that's happy with that and you're taking far more photographs as a result of that right um and that's not just to prove that you really do like it and you don't actually um right. <laughs> and just overcompensating right. yeah. um, then that then that's all that matters yeah. Yeah. No, really. And I, and I mean, if you look at it on paper, it's a ridiculous thing to do to, and I, cause that, that S2, which by the way is on the shelf at central camera company in Chicago, you can own your very own Bob Rotoloni from his collection, Nikon S2. So yeah, I try not to think too hard about that because it doesn't on paper. It makes no sense whatsoever that, I mean, that Nikon S2 matching serial number on the plate and the camera body so it's been it's all original from the day it was made um the focusing wheel still works which on a lot of them they don't the viewfinder is bright i mean it's a really nice camera it's just for me i just didn't connect to it and i have so many more lenses in in ltm that i just i'm like trying to force myself to eat my vegetables when I'm using that camera. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't happening. I always wanted to be using those lenses on, uh, on a, on a thread mount, you know, on a LTM camera. So I just couldn't connect with it, which is not about the camera. It's about me. It's not you. It's me. Nikon S2. It's not you. It's me. I'm sorry we broke up. So, but we did. Um, and, and that's just the way it goes. So, and I'm okay. I'm fine with that. You know, if I was a true hardcore collector, I never would have got rid of that Nikon S2 because they are getting harder to harder, harder and harder to come by. It's always going to be worth way more than this best is going to be worth, even as a special edition camera, which I don't think there were more than, I would say the blue one probably is out there in the hundreds or maybe a thousand or so of these. And I can't imagine there's many more than that floating around, but ultimately I just, I kind of don't care. I just want to use it, you know, and I I'm using it a lot more than I used the Nikon in the, in the whole time that I owned it. So, yeah. well, that, that brings on to the, onto the other thing. I mean, I, I've, I haven't been taking many pictures lately, uh, but you have. So what, what, yeah, what have you been doing? Kinda. Well, I, 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 so I, I, uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've developed 
almost my entire backlog of uh, black and white stuff that I've shot, which was on the order of about uh, 20 rolls of black and white going back to last fall, last autumn. Um, so I had a little bit of catch up there. Uh, and it was mostly stuff that I had shot on the uh, uh, Canon P, but there were there were a couple of Nikon S rolls in there, and I think that's it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I caught up on my black and white developing. I, I, honestly, there's a lot of garbage on there. Um, there there's I, I, and I kind of felt it even when I was shooting a lot of the, those rolls. I'm like, eh, I'm just shooting to press the, the shutter button. There's not a lot going on here. But there are a few shots I'm really excited about. And to me, honestly, that's I don't expect more. Than, <laughs> if I if I think I got more than five or six good shots on a roll of film, I'm kidding myself. <laughs> so on many of those rolls, there's like one or two shots I think I'm pretty interested in and then a few shots that I'm really interested in. And that's fine. So, you know, it, it, it was a weird, it's been a weird time period for me in general uh, since last fall. A lot of things personally have been going on in my life that have been challenging or weird or whatever. So I, it doesn't surprise me that I was in, I don't want to say I was in a rut, um, because I did get some things I really liked, but yeah, I was just kind of shooting to shoot. Um, but that's fine. You know, I got it all developed. Uh, now I, I, I n this is not <laughs> the stuff that I've really been shooting has been, um, the, uh, on my, uh, pocket Panavision, uh, AKA the, uh, uh, Minolta, um, Riva Panorama, uh, which is the Crop Pano 35, which is the true love of my life. I have about 50 rolls of film <laughs> to develop out of that camera, and I, I've I've made the decision that I'm going to get that that sous vide thing from um, from Andre's team over at uh, Cinestill just to make my life easier. Because I I know everybody says, oh, developing color film is it's actually easier than black and white. I you know what bullshit. I I don't. <laughs> I do not agree. And here's why I don't agree because I think for people who develop film that don't pay too much attention to temperature, developing films really easy. <laughs> but I think if you actually try to do it right and do it with a great deal of consistency, it's uh, it's harder. And I try to keep my temperatures stable and getting, getting color film. When you do color film processing, um, getting your getting your chemicals and everything up to temperature and keeping them at temperature, it's a pain in the ass because you got to get it up to like, you know, 102 degrees. Or let's say you want to do it at 95. That's that's a pain in the ass too. So now I'm like heating it up on the stove and I'm running the tap water and I spend half an hour getting it to the right temperature and then it gets too hot and then I got to let it cool down a little bit. So I'm like, that's a pain in the ass. It really is. So. The whole point of having the sous feed is that you can just basically set the temperature, let it come up to temperature, and just run. And I know that it may get a lot more color film developed if I can spend less time looking at the thermometer and just and just letting letting that that device do some of the work. Uh, Johnny, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm I'm, just, I'm I'm not entirely sure what you're uh, talking about here with this with this two speed. So if I'm not entirely sure, then I think a whole lot of people listening aren't entirely sure as well. So do you want to just, just flesh that one out just a little All bit? All right. So the Seuss feed, and I probably am saying that completely wrong because I'm from Chicago and we talk Chicago. Oh, I don't, I, ah. I don't talk French. I thought you were saying two, no, two speed. Two speed. No, speed. What's, a, what's, a, what's a two speed? What's is this, is this some, <laughs> some kind of dual processing for, 
the chemical mix or something like that. a sous vide as um so we talk about a, uh what well, what people would uh chefs would cook um right. food in these uh, yes. uh it's like a water bath that's at a certain temperature but the the one that's from um Cinestill is yeah. uh, designed specifically for photography and the idea is that uh, you can get the water up to exactly uh, the right temperature and hold it there yes um, yeah. precisely yeah yeah. Yeah. So I, so I'm going to get one of those. I'm just going to break down and get one. I kind of, I kind of have like poo pooed these things in the past, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just, it's like having an automatic transmission car basically. Yeah. I like stick shift. I really do, you know, but this is like automatic transmission easiness and I'm just going to do it and not feel guilty. It's like having a house cleaner. It's very, it's very like bourgeois nouveau riche to me to have things like that in my life and i but i'm just gonna get it because i'm just i i don't develop color film as much as i should because it's i just view it as a pain in the ass so i'm gonna take that that bit of difficulty out of my life um and just have at it so that i can develop my backlog of what is now literally like 50 rolls of film because i just avoid it and i shoot i can easily shoot two rolls of film a week on that uh, pocket Panavision camera. Um, and at some point, you know, I will have this flood of pictures um, coming out from that camera and actually have a book in mind that I want to do, uh, you know, more like a zine book, but a, a self-published book specifically um, of, of crop, crop panorama pictures. So that's coming down the road. And I don't want to, I don't want to announce what that is because it's a really ridiculous book idea but I'm really looking forward to it. So well, that, that'll be cool. That'll be yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I'm not done blabbing about this yet. I have, I have one more element to the story that okay. I would like, that I would so, like to so share. I must admit, I was thinking to myself, you know, when, when you went on that uh, monologue about how, <laughs> how you're justifying uh, this and you're going to, well, I, you know, you're like an automatic car, you do all of this. I'm thinking it's only a matter of time before you go digital. <laughs> no, I've been there and done that. that. <laughs> I've I've been there and done that. I got no love left in me for digital stuff. I just I can't I can't I just can't shoot. I <laughs> so I got two stories I can tell about that. Okay, the the second the second the the first story is, um, <laughs> so it uh, was like two what a week and a half ago or so, um. Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog, the, the the film director, was in Chicago uh, for the premiere of his new film, which is a documentary um, uh, about Mikhail Gorbachev. And and so he was here personally in Chicago at the Music Box Theater to talk about the film after the film played. And it is, if you have any interest in Werner Herzog, his documentaries. Um, Gorbachev, the Cold War, whatever. You should see the film. It's really, really good. It's excellent. And it's 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 very much a Herzog documentary. It's you know, it's it's great, it's funny, it's interesting, it's all that. Um so but but what I really wanted to do is, you know, I wanted to get a couple photos of Herzog. Um, see, I mean, seeing him in person, I was really excited about getting to take a couple shots of him. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, and so I've shot at the Music Box Theater. 
I've, I've, I've done photos there before of, you know, they have directors, people come and, and speak. And a couple of years ago, um, uh, they had, uh, uh, Norman Lear there in person and Norman Lear, if you're not familiar with the name, um, is the, the, the TV show creator of, you know, I mean, you name it, uh, the, just classic television shows that I grew up on, which is like all in the family and good times and all that stuff. Right. So Norman Lear was there in person talking and I, and I just kind of like, it's an old school uh, movie theater where they've got a stage and then the stage behind the stage is the screen. Um, but in the front of the stage would be the place where the orchestra pit was. Right. So you've got this like little area of like say 15 or 18 feet of, of space between the stage and the first row seats. So when they have a speaker there like that, a, a, a guest person live in person, I'll just like go right up and kind of like, crouch down in the orchestra pit and get some shots. And so I got some these really nice shots of, of Norman Lear when he was there. And I think I had used my, uh, Fuji XE two with probably just like a 50 millimeter lens on it. Um, because that's an 80, you know, 80 millimeter angle of view, which was really good. It worked out really well, but I'm, I, so when, when Herzog was going to be there, I'm like, there is no way I'm going to shoot Werner Herzog on stupid digital. I mean, it was just like dis a disgusting idea to me because I, anything that's important to me at this point, I could, I could have shot it for convenience on digital, but it just feels like dirty to me. You know, I just want it on film. I want Werner Herzog on film. I mean, it just, it makes sense. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, what, do, you know, what do I want to shoot? What lens do I want to shoot? Cause I want to be a little closer and I don't really have a portrait lens. So I'm going to shoot a 50. So I, I shot Werner Herzog with, uh, with the new Voigtlander Bessa R with my 50 millimeter 1.2 uh, LTM, Canon LTM. And it worked out great. It really worked out great. And I got a couple of shots. I'm super excited about a Werner Herzog, which I won't kind of dive too deep into now. But I was really excited to, to, shoot, to shoot him, to get a couple of shots of him. Um, and I was really excited to do it on film and I was really excited to do it with the Bessa and I was really excited to do it with that lens in particular, which I don't use enough. Uh, and it really worked out great. I mean, it was like the perfect situation for that fast 50. Um, and so I got a couple of shots of that and that was exciting. Uh, and then, um, I've been, like I said, I've been shooting a lot of, um, the pocket Panavision camera, uh, crop panorama and, uh, the other thing, oh, I know where I was going, my other story. Um, so when I, when I traded off the Nikon S2, uh, one of the lenses that I have that I was like, well, geez, I'm not going to be able to use this lens anymore, and it's a lens I really like, is the Voigtlander SC Scopar 25mm f4. So basically it's a, it's a Nikon S-mount version of the color Scopar, uh, the, the 25 F4, which in the LTM camera is the snapshot scope bar, which we've talked about before. Um, and I really like that lens. I like it a lot. And that the lens, that lens in S mount is actually rangefinder coupled, which it's not in LTM. So I kept thinking, well, I really want to get that snapshot scope bar to use on my, you know, my Canon P or whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's stupid. I already have the same lens in another mount and I've been avoiding using it cause I don't really like the S2. But what I do like using is 
my Kia 4. I love my Kia 4. So part of the reason I let go of the Nikon is like I actually enjoy the Kia more than the Nikon. Now, I know that doesn't make any sense because they're essentially the same mount in a different camera, but I like the way the Kiev handles and feels for some reason um, a lot more. And I've always really enjoyed shooting this camera. So now I have on my Kiev, the Kiev is now going to be my uh, SC scope art camera with the 25 F4 on it. So anytime I want to shoot that lens, I've got it on this camera. So, um, yeah, so I still have a home for that cam- for that lens, uh, and and I've decided that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get the snapshot scope bar. I don't need it. I've got you know other focal lengths to use on my LTM cameras, and whenever I want to shoot the 25, I I've got the key up. So um, so I guess the whole point of that long story was, <laughs> I like to have like one one lens on one camera combo and. That that's the combo I have now, and I'm I'm really excited about shooting the Kiev again because I just don't shoot it enough. Yeah, and now I, I've got, now I got a reason. Yeah, I, I, can, I can relate to that. I mean, back in the old days, I, I would I would have one camera with color and another one with black and white film. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's just how, how it was. Um, I can relate as well to what you said about the Kiev four um, versus uh, that uh, Nikon S uh, because I've got uh, I'm, I'm I, I want to like rangefinders. I'm still struggling, but um, I've got, uh, and I've mentioned this before, actually, uh, a Fed S. Uh, yes, a, uh, right. A Fed 50 F2, which actually, that's uh, just going back to photographic yesterday, um, on Andy's table um, with all these Feds li- lined up, um, somebody was... was Andy had gone away and I was minding his table as well and somebody picked up, picked one up and I immediately I, I recognized that it had a 50 a 50 uh, f2 uh, fed lens on it and I was thinking oh oh that's rare that's rare yeah yeah and um and I could see how much it and I think he had it on it like 35 pounds and I was thinking Andy what have Whoa. you done what have you done Andy yeah what are you doing it's a commander fed <laughs> And uh, and the chap was was looking at it, and they was talking to me. I say, "Oh, you don't see many of these very often, do you?" I'm thinking, "No, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't." <laughs> Please put it down, uh, <laughs> so we can change the price. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was either that, or I was going to buy it, um, one, one or the other. Um, and um, and he didn't put it down, um, and he bought it. Um, oh man, somebody got a deal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but the, uh, the 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 point being is, I've got, I've got one of those, um, and the only consolation is the one I've got was nicer than the one that was being sold. Uh, I'm just comforting <laughs> myself there, um, and it's essentially a Leica three. Uh, yeah. So screw mounts, Barnack designed uh, Leica, which I've I've had a Leica three C um didn't really like it um and i've got a Leica m2 which is much nicer but i'm still not really gelling with it at all um but when i've been out with the uh the fed s i really enjoyed using it yeah and there's no logic to that there's no logic at (laughs) all yes exactly that's exactly what i feel like when i shoot my kia 4 there's no logic to why i like it more than more than the the Nikon, but I do. I just do. I can't. Yeah. I can't entirely tell you why. Okay. Well, I think um, seeing that we 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 can't help ourselves, um, <laughs> right. perhaps 
Um, this might be a good time to catch up on some of the emails that have, uh, have come in over the last few weeks, which we've we've not uh, we've not addressed. So, yes. Um, so perhaps we should go through go through some of those emails and see if we can actually manage to help somebody somebody else. That sounds like a great idea. All right. Email catch up. Here we go. Uh, so we have uh, first emails from Ian Fleming, uh, received on the sixteenth of April. And subject is great last episode. Uh, so it says, Simon, Johnny, and Carl really enjoyed this episode. The in-depth tech stuff on lens design was great. Uh, MFT and lines per millimeter, et cetera, plus dry plate, which I've been considering trying. Happy holidays, Ian Fleming. Wow. That's <laughs> feels like a time warp back in at this point. Um, it, it, it does. <laughs> doesn't it, though? Doesn't it, though? Yeah. Like, whole, like, life was completely different. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, was a, that was a really, really good episode with Jason Lane. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we, we covered lots of good stuff. And we've actually, that's a point. Uh, we have one email um, that came through, and I think you might actually about to make reference to it there, um, with a, a technical question. Because if you remember on that show, uh, we said that if anybody's going to, you know, seriously technical questions about uh, lenses, that we would put them to uh, Jason in, in a future show. Um, or that was, right. we were going to, you were going to have uh, potential chats with him, and then we can just feed these uh, questions and answer mm -hmm. sessions in that, as we go. So uh, we do have one of those, and uh, if anybody wants to drop us any more technical questions, such as why a lens does this or that, and so on, um, then. Uh, please do send it to classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please, please do. And, and we will, we will do that. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I haven't talked with Jason since then, but I know he was very open to doing that, those sorts of uh, dives into particular lenses. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. So definitely send us your, your very highly specific lens questions. So shall we do the next then? Yeah, and I actually get a feeling the next question is actually that question I was talking about that's been <laughs> sent sent in. And uh, so for the for the sake of things, that was from Matt Jones. Uh, so yeah. th thank you, Matt. Um, and we will ask that question, but uh, we can't do it today. Yeah. So I'm going to skip the Matt Jones? Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Very good. I am scrolling on up the line here. And the next, next one will be from Chris Holland. Chris Holland. And Chris wrote us on the 26th of April and says, Hello, Johnny, Carl, and Simon. Why is the adaptation of classic medium format lenses to full frame cameras so unpopular? Um, please have a look at my new blog post about adapting the descendant of the Olympia sonar to the Sony a7 II. And then there is a link here. So we'll look at that. And he says, I got the Carl Zeiss, uh, Carl Zeiss Jena, Jena sonar. 180 millimeter f2.8 format lens for 100 euro near mint and including original cap sunshade and leather case the comparable nikkor ais 180 f2.8 would be approximately 400 euro best rainox greetings and beautiful wet on wet bouquet exclamation point chris holland <laughs> um well yeah i it's two things i'll go to do let's do the second one first because he specifically yeah. mentions the uh the that sonar uh, 180 yeah. 2.8 and i've i've had that lens i've i've used it on medium formats with a uh pentacon 6 and i've also adapted that 
Uh, interestingly enough, I've, when I did adapt it, I, I adapted it to a Nikon D500, so a DSLR rather than even a mirrorless. And yeah. it was great. And I did some wildlife with it. I, I think I may have even got a bird in flight with it as well. Wow. Um, I'm not sure if I was wide open or not, but it was sharp as anything it was um, pretty much what you would expect to see from a from a from a modern lens yeah um, and when you're doing wildlife photography that's pretty much what you've what you want um, i mean there might be some kind of environmental portrait wildlife shot that you might want to do with a with a certain feel to it but generally speaking uh, wildlife photography you you just want pin sharpness uh, great definition good colors sure. and and and, uh, and uh, an ability to deal with flare and that lens it delivers it, it really does the downside with it um, say compared to the to to the Nikon, it's just the size. Um, mm. it's, it's it's massive. Um, yeah. So yeah, because it has to cover that uh, a larger image circle. So therefore, the diameter of of, of the of the lens uh, just has to be larger. Um, yeah. You know, it just it's just physics. Yeah, uh, and it's so, a two, and it's a two point eight. I mean, on a medium format, so it's going to be massive. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So it just makes the handling, you know, difficult for fast focusing. And I, yeah. I, realistically speaking, it was never really meant to be uh, that that kind of lens. It's more of a portrait lens. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, it worked brilliantly on uh, on my D five hundred APS APS C uh, camera. So, uh, but and now going back to the first part of the question, why why is it unpopular? Um, I, I think uh, for me. Uh, because I've done this a few times, and uh, and the one that I've just been talking about there was I, I would absolutely count as a, a success. Um, most of my efforts with uh, medium format cameras uh, lenses, sorry, on full frame have, have not been particularly successful, mm. um, and and even you know, and and for two reasons: one, from the actual image quality that I would actually get uh, in the main. I wasn't really getting anything different or better or special uh, when when I did it because and ultimately that's the reason why we do this we 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 want to get some kind of effect in our photography by putting putting a lens on and if you if you if you're getting something that's a, a relatively bland image that could all well, okay perhaps not bland but a you know a good quality image but it doesn't impart any kind of character specific to the lens it's just a you know just a good shot you've you've got to ask yourself the question do you wish to put on something that is much heavier um and puts so much weight further forward on your camera right. when you can get the the same effect with any number of um full frame lenses yeah yeah exactly I mean, yeah. the the only the, the exceptions I've I've had, and I've we, we actually, I've mentioned this before, and we we touched upon this, and uh, I've used a uh, one of the late uh, Bronica uh, Zenzenon lenses. I think it was a PE lens, which was the uh, the the better range. I think it was a, I think I've used a seventy five. Not sure there was a one twenty, mm -hmm. uh, but I've I've used those to good effect on on Sony, and they they really delivered. Uh, really good sharp images and yeah. actually the one the good, and they were both landscape shots I was I was using them for and thinking about it there is there was actually a potential advantage in using those lenses and that's you know you are using the center part of the image um, so any kind of softness you you'd put uh, have at the edges just wasn't really there 
um, because the edges weren't projected onto the sensor. So in some circumstances, you know, assuming that the lens is a high resolving medium format lens, because many medium format lenses aren't particularly high, high resolving yeah. because they're yeah. just using the fact that, you know, the, the, uh, the film that, uh, that the image is being projected on is just so much larger. Therefore you, you're not stretching the image when it's, um, when it's printed or, uh, or scanned and put onto a screen. Um, so, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be as high, high yeah, the resolution power doesn't have to be as high, but there are medium format lenses that are, you know, are high resolution and project a large image. So if you put that combination right. together and you're doing some landscape shooting and you need those sharp edges, well, you're going to get sharp edges. So yeah, yeah. there could be a case and, in, for that. And, and those lenses, are you talking to the, the Bronica, the 645 format, right? Yes. Yes. Not not the not the square one. I was trying. Yeah. To and 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 actually, I was going to say, I think that's part of why they perform so well because, I, to me, six forty five is like a a particular sweet spot in medium format, in terms of the fact that you know at six forty five those lenses because you know they are re resolving onto a smaller um, portion of the one twenty frame. They're actually probably much higher resolution lenses if you compare them to some of the six by six lenses that are going to cover the full square um, which is also the case with uh half frame 35 millimeter lenses i mean so i think some of the the, the the highest resolving lenses you'll find are those pan f lenses so i, I, I was you, you just heard me laughing in the background there and and this is because this is groundhog day um we've <laughs> we've, we've had this exact conversation yeah. in the past and yeah. uh, and and i think you're i think i probably said what i said and you've absolutely said what you said last time uh, yeah. in, including heading towards half frame lenses so yeah. um <laughs> yeah there may be some truth in that but I, i'm pretty sure somebody uh somebody says no absolute load of rubbish um so uh, <laughs> who, who knows who knows yeah. um, but, uh, <laughs> So I'm I, I just going to say, just to just to, to recap there, just to sum up our, our answers there, um, which you can hear in this week's episode and one several several months ago, um, um, <laughs> and that's uh, really I, I think I think it's convenience is one of the reasons why uh, yeah, people don't totally. don't don't use them, um, and some medium format lenses just aren't aren't that great when you adapt them to digital. I'm sure that, uh, Johnny, you'll be saying, well, that's because they weren't designed for digital and, and so on. But I mean. It's got to be said when you when you put an old lens on on digital, you 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 see it almost like warts and all. Yes, there are yeah. going to be some yeah. things that um, are going to be peculiar to uh, to 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 put them onto digital that they would never have been that way. Some some right bad things um, would just wouldn't have shown up on film, which which is which is fair comment. But but it's also the case of you know, you, you can see lens character on digital in the way that you just don't right. unless you're shooting very high resolution or you're shooting you know, like slide film and things like that and let's, let's face it you can't you know, lens testing on film is an expensive thing plus you're going to be mounting <laughs> them on different cameras and, right. and so yeah people just haven't got the luxury of being able to do that so yeah that is one of the the best for me that's one of the best things about digital you know, you can learn about a huge number of lenses at a relatively um, small expense yeah I totally agree with that no doubt that's absolutely true all right are we off to the next then yeah yep 
Okay. Uh, and this is from Marcus Nel- Nels. I'm probably doing that wrong. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm it's Marcus N E H L S. Do you know the Niels? Niels. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Marcus Niels. Let's let's go with that. Dear. Oh, and uh, date on this is Thursday, May second, twenty nineteen. Dear Classics, first of all, I want. I was very sorry to hear of Carl's passing. I wish his family and friends all the best. I just listened to your episode number fifty-seven, the fungus attack with uh, Lyndon, with great joy. Here's my experience with lithium grease. A few years back, I acquired a pre-spherical 35 Sumalux, which is the most reasonable lens to start with lens repair, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, a cheap Leica. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no problem. Uh, in an act of overconfidence, I dismantled it because of the focusing helicoid was too sticky for my taste. To cut a long story short, I used lithium grease that was intended for my motorbike. It's like 10 pound ish for 500 grams and enough until the end of the universe. After several hours trying to catch the correct thread of the helical when assembling the little Lux uh, is back in service, buttery smooth as ever since. Thanks for your great podcast and the heads up greetings, Marcus. So yeah, I, I, I have a, that same, same tube of lithium grease <laughs> that, that I got for my, um, non-motorbike my my regular bike which i've used for you know you use it for like repacking bearings uh hub bearings that sort of thing um and i i have used it also for those rare moments when i've ventured into disassembling or mostly disassembling helicals and uh cleaning the grease out and i found it to be very much the same i mean you use it very very sparingly uh, very sparingly indeed, but it works great. It's, it's, it's really good for that, for that use. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 that's, that's what I've used it, used it for probably more than greasing bearings lately these days. And it, yeah, works great. Good stuff. Yeah, I think we. That was one of the things uh, with, I mean, as, as as Marx has alluded to there. We we touched upon lithium grease in the in that episode, episode fifty seven. Um, and uh, Lyndon, at the time, uh, hadn't used lithium grease. He was uh, using other, other, other lubricants. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a, it's a very popular uh, method. I mean, uh, Lyndon quite rightly questioned, well, what's this going to be like in the long term? Um, so don't know um, is, is, is the answer there. So I don't know if the jury's out on that one or yeah. uh, it's actually not an issue, but uh, I, yeah, well, I guess what we're talking about there is like some, yeah, some kinds of grease do, do vaporize and you end up uh, um, coating elements and things like that. So right. um, I don't think anybody's got an answer to that one. Um, if somebody does, if somebody can actually conclusively say that lithium grease isn't going to cause that problem, then uh, that'd be good to know. Or it could be a case of in time that could happen to almost any kind of grease, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Is, we don't know. So if somebody right. does know, then uh, that'd be good. But I've, I have used lithium grease in my uh, one attempt <laughs> at, um, fixing the helicoid um, again I probably would have spoken about it in a previous episode but what you've just uh, uh, said there about using it sparingly that was definitely one of the uh, takeaways that I had from from using it because I I thought oh this I'm going to put lots of this I'm going to slap it on <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and this, it's like this, super glue yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. 
And I was thinking, hold on, why, why is the helicoid hardly, hardly movable now? Um, I've got so much grease on it. Um, and that was the problem. You know, you, there is such a thing as too much grease on the helicoid. And yeah. so I had to right. wipe it all off, clean it all off. And, yeah. uh, um, and then I applied a tiny amount and it was perfect and it felt great. So, um, yeah. um, just a shame that I put the helicoid together in the wrong place and then I broke the, broke the screws. Of, the screws oh off. yeah. That's, 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 that's what happens to me as well. I'll give you a pro tip for all you lens hackers out there. Um, <laughs> so having gone through the hell of trying to realign helicoids to the right start point, which I, I just, I am so not inclined to be able to do that both mechanically and patience wise. <laughs> so in the very few instances where I, I've done such things since then, I, I basically, uh, uh unscrew the, the helicoid just to that point where I think if I turn it any further, it's going to come up, come apart and I leave it like that and clean it. So there's going to yeah. be a little bit that doesn't get clean, but you know, F that man, I am not, I just, that's just beyond me trying to put a lens back together once it's come apart like that I just can't do it. So that's what I do is I, I, I essentially, you know, unscrew it, not quite all the way to the point of no return and clean it that way, which just shows you what a rank amateur I am and how bad I suck at this sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that, that's cool. I think, is that, is that the last of our emails? I think it is. Although I, I, I there's one I want to read that it's not per it's not a hundred. Well, I'm just going to read it. I got an email personally uh, via Facebook from Robin Hunter from Whitburn, Sunderland, UK. And he asked if uh, he could share in the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page, if he could share uh, pinhole lens photos that he shot on his uh, Fuji X-T3, if that would be allowed. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I think that's allowed. So, well, I think... <laughs> I think somebody said at the time, or somebody said somewhere else, somewhere that there, there's no more classic lens than a pinhole. Than a pinhole, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, and I, I, I did a bit of pinhole uh, for World Pinhole Day, uh, which was about three weeks ago now, and uh, I mean, I, I sort of felt obliged to do it for a few reasons. One, one of which, uh, my other podcast I do is the uh, the large format photography podcast and my co-host is Andrew Bartram and Andrew is a co-host of the Lensless podcast right uh, which is you know, I was thinking you know they've they've done I'm not sure what episode they're up to but they've, they've must be about 70 episodes or, or, or more talking about pinhole cameras I mean <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah, but they they managed yeah. that, and, the, and and apparently they've got more planned. So wow, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't I wasn't exactly mad keen on the idea of doing pinhole photography, but I I, I did it, and I I converted. Uh, well, I took part in World Pinhole Day, and I I took the lens off my large format camera, and then made uh, a cardboard lens board and a and a homemade. Uh, pinhole with a with a with a pin and uh, sanded it down and was, I yeah. think the pin was actually too large. Uh, the pinhole was larger than it should have been, um, yeah. but all the same, I did that. And, uh, and one of the people on on the uh, the pinhole day um, sat down and uh, was 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 a model for the shot of uh, the thirty second exposure and uh, <laughs> said, "Right, be be quiet." And then we promptly uh, tried to make a laugh. 
um, <laughs> as best as we could over those 30 seconds of the exposure. But uh, yeah. um, she, she she stayed admirably still and, uh, and, a, and an image was produced. And it was great fun. It really was. It was That's far awesome. more fun than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, so um, I'll say, you know, anybody's half interested in doing pinhole, I'll give it a go because it's just a laugh. Yeah, um, it's good it stuff. is. And actually, that's a point. New new acquisitions. I've actually placed an order uh, for three pinholes uh, ah. on eBay, um, and one one of which is just a literally. It, it sounds weird. I've I've ordered a pinhole. You know, just the hole. And you think, well, what is? <laughs> what does that mean exactly? <laughs> How can you order a hole? Well, it's it's not so much a hole. It's a it's a a a piece of tin with a with a precise uh, hole in right. it to a certain a certain size because the 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 size of the pinhole um, to get you know you can just make a pinhole and make it work, but you can actually make make the pinhole work better if it's the if it's the right size and the right distance away from the film plane and and, right. and so on. Right. So I've got one on order uh, for my uh, large format camera. Um, I've also ordered one for my Hasselblad, so that makes life quite easy as well. So you can just use some roll film. But yeah. more to the point, though, I've also ordered uh, one for my Micro Four Thirds camera as a body cap, and uh, and, it, and it's exactly the right size for Micro Four Thirds. So I'm going to do some digital uh, pinhole soon. And you might be wondering why I chose to order one for, for my Micro Four Thirds camera. Because you're a goddamn heathen, that's why. No, no. Simon, how can you do such a... No, I'm kidding. No, I think no, it's great. Well, well, apart from the fact it's digital, but the fact is I, I didn't do it for my Sony. You know, why not do full-frame uh, pinholes? Eh. No, I, I wanted it for the uh, <laughs> to go on my Olympus, because my Olympus has got a mode on it um, called Live Composition. And that will allow me to actually, from the point of setting the exposure going, I'll be able to actually see the image build up uh, on the screen and then stop the really? at the point where I think, yeah, that's done. So, that's yes, cool. It is. And that's I very thinking, cool. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've done it. I've done. I've used it for like some night photography, and and, and I'm sure. Actually, you know what? I think um, a chap called Steve Wales might have told me about this um, a few months ago when I was wow. completely uninterested. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. But now I've developed an interest. I'm thinking, yeah, it's a good idea now. So, uh, so I'm going to give that a go. <laughs> Although, to be fair, uh, using a pinhole on your Sony sounds like an amazing way to get the sensor really, really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it'd be like a pinhole cap, and I just forget that it's a cap and got a hole in it, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's not protecting it that much. But uh, right, yeah, yeah. But no, the, the the Sony can get get dust on it, and then you know, with without any any assistance without any whatsoever. help whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that four thirds thing sounds great. I mean, that, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that, and yeah, so uh, yeah, so that, that's that's going to be good. Um, right. Have we have we got anything else we want to uh, want to do before we we start to sign off now? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I although I just I did want to put a me a mention out there for something that we will be doing in the very near future, if not next week, um, very soon. But but um, uh, right before Carl passed, um, one of, one of the things that we were actually going to do on the following show was we were going to play some interviews that I recorded with uh, coworkers and uh, customers at Central Camera Company, where I was asking folks to tell me about 
their favorite favorite camera and lens combo. So it's basically a bunch of interviews of of folks talking about you know classic lenses that they use, um, and that have you know <laughs> due to unforeseen events, we we have not yet played those, um, uh, but we will be in the future. I just wanted to mention that for the folks that I haven't spoken to who I recorded um, in those interviews that. You know, I told him, hey, it's going to be on the podcast next week. Well, it will be coming up, but, you know, life intervenes, right? You, so you, You're just doing that to boost our weekly figures, aren't you? So they're just yeah, keep on downloading yeah, right. every week in the hope that they're going to hear themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, those dozen people. But, yeah, that that, that uh, those will be coming up. Uh, just, you know, we're going to do it when the time is right. So that, that was my only other mention that I wanted to kind of put out there. Okay, well, uh, uh, well, let's let's – start to round things off so how can people keep up with you and follow you outside of this podcast oh you can find me <laughs> i feel like i've been saying this since january and it's been a lie but you can find me on instagram at uh, at system photography i i actually really am going to be having some new images on instagram because um, i've kind of got through not my rut but i've gotten through uh some some things in life that have kept me from having time to do that so you will find me on instagram at uh system photography and you can find me in person at central camera company in chicago where i am uh, at the camera counter um, and please don't double park in front of the shop and get a 300 dollars ticket because that's what <laughs> yeah because that's what will happen we had somebody get one this week not because they were a podcast listener but because they were someone else who double parked in front of the shop but please don't ever do that i don't want you to get a 300 ticket um and you can also send us an email and find the program and find everything that we do uh at classic lenses podcast.com uh, so contact us there and if somebody wants to send a question in well, you can also do that right through Classic Lenses Podcast. Now, you can email us directly at classiclenspodcast at gmail.com. But if you go to classiclenspodcast.com, there's a contact page there. So you can do it all in one place. Um, <laughs> having said that, I think I would actually prefer you to send it to the Gmail address because it tends to go into my spam account. <laughs> oh, does it really? Oh, that it sucks. It does. We need we need to look at that. <laughs> yeah, we got to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been spammed by our own website. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, he runs a risk of me forgetting and uh, not asking. I'm thinking about it now. I bet there are some questions in there that we haven't done. So uh, yeah, I need to. I need to dig dig deep and find out what's going on with those right um okay um okay so uh for myself um i have a website uh, which is uh simon forster photographic.co.uk where you can buy ficas adapters at a slightly reduced price than uh, i have them on my ebay shop and i have an ebay shop uh with uh lenses and cameras as well as more ficas adapters and a few knf adapters as well um, if you do a seller search for it's fuzzy um links for that are going to be in the show notes anyway as they are every week anyway um i'm on twitter is simon four um instagram is uh simon forster photographic i'm 
back on Flickr now because I've paid the money, although I've not posted anything. <laughs> well, they finally got you to cough up, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've not, but I've not posted anything. I've not put anything on. I've paid money over that, and I've not yeah. still not put anything on it. It's like I'm, you know, spiting myself for paying the money over to them. They say, yeah, I'll give you the money, but ransom. I'm not going to use you. It, yeah, it's just ransom. It's pure ransom. Exactly. So eventually, yeah. I'll, I'll start to put things on from six months ago, uh, <laughs> and uh, continue to build up my uh, my lens albums. That's, that, was that, that was the reason why I'm on Flickr as much as anything because I've, I've got things, I've got photographs that are arranged by uh, what lens I've actually used. So there's, I think, last count, I had about 160 albums of uh, photographs that I've taken with. Which, whichever lens so uh, it's it's a, it's a good resource for me and it's a, you know it's potentially an interesting resource for, for, for listeners as well so if they uh, are interested in a particular lens there's a reasonable chance I've used it yeah. and I've put the uh, uh, just a few snaps up there whether it be with Micro Four Thirds or with uh, Sony or my D500 in the case of that um, uh, Sonar 180mm uh, 2.8 uh, that's, yeah. on, that's on Flickr um, so that's uh, that's those places. I've sort of lost uh, lost my thread, but um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just say goodbye as much as anything. So uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. Um, we will be back next week, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>